I'm Caroline, a yoga teacher with a special interest in menopause based in Edinburgh. And hello, I'm Dr Claire, a GP with a special interest in menopause based in North London. Together we are the Menopause Sisters and we are here to guide and support you through your menopause journey. So really looking forward to today's guest, um, Corinna. I'm going to hand over to Dr Claire to introduce her. So we're delighted to welcome Corinna to the show today um, and to talk to her a bit about her her transition and her journey thus far. She is the co-founder of Coco Rio Creative Childcare, which is a childcare agency that matches fully vetted creatives, musicians, actors and dancers with families for smart childcare services. Importantly, she is also the London coordinator for the DAISY Network, the only charity supporting women with premature ovarian insufficiency in the UK and internationally. So we're very excited to have her here today with us. Corinna grew up in Italy and has been a child singer since the age of five. She started entering puberty, but suddenly her development stopped and since the age of 10 suffered with lots of symptoms which her doctors never fully put together. At the age of 15, after never having a period, naturally she was diagnosed with what was premature ovarian insufficiency, although at the time she was given a very long name only describing her symptoms and told that this was an incredibly rare condition. During her teenage years Corinna turned to drama and moved to the UK at the age of 18 to study. She's been working in fashion, theatre and performance and arts management since then and now runs her own business at the age of 25. So welcome Corinna, thank you so much for being here today and to start to share your journey with us at the Menopause Sisters and UK Health Radio. Thank you very much for having me, it's lovely to be here. I'm thinking at the age of 25, that's a lot so far. I'm <laughs> listening to the bio, Claire was just, you know, your journey so far in life will stop and that is a lot. Um, Corinna, could you maybe just take a, a moment to begin with to Describe and explain to our listeners what POI is, maybe what it stands for, go over that again, and, and what it really means. Yeah, of course. So POI is premature ovarian insufficiency, uh, which used to be called POF, so premature ovarian failure, until just a few years ago. Now the name's been changed because the previous name just sounded really, really awful. Um, it's also uh, basically premature menopause. Um, so it's when the ovaries stop working um, before their time, basically. Um, if that happens um, before the age of 40, it's called POI. If it happens between uh, 40 and the actual age of, of the menopause, then it's just called early menopause. Brilliant. Thank you so much for explaining that. And how old? Remind me how old you were when you diagnosed. So I was 15 then, almost 16. So kind of bang in the middle there of teenage years, that kind of, as we know, as, as women, it can be a really quite challenging time anyway, as we can navigate the changes physically, mentally, and, and with our peer groups and friends and, and friendships. Were there any particular symptoms that you found awkward, embarrassing? Um, at that time, I imagine, you know, you're trying to just fit in, you're trying to be able to be with your friends and 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 have fun. Um, and so, was there was there anything in particular that that changed specifically for you and made you uh, made you feel perhaps very different? Yeah. So I would say the main one for me was always the lack of breast development. Um, I mean, that's you know that can sound 
trivial because it's not actually a painful symptom. Um, it was just really exhausting for me to keep waiting and, and feel like I wasn't the same as the other girls. And I would wear a bra, um, you know, just to, you know, feel normal, to look normal. Um, but I, you know, I just really felt really embarrassed about it. Um, I felt really embarrassed when I um, went to the swimming pool or uh, before going to the beach on holiday, I would be really, really embarrassed. And I've always been quite skinny. So it wasn't like a tragedy, you know, I could sort of just look generally very skinny and, and, and you know, very tall teenager sort of still growing up. But for me, it was really the, the most uncomfortable um, thing, I guess, even more than the actual physical symptoms. That's interesting you mentioned that because at that time around 15, 16, we are so in tune with how we look and how our friends are looking and how we're developing. And you mentioned, you know, you've, you've been working in theatre and fashion. And so I imagine at that time, because you had a, had an interest in, in performing and, and singing and in fashion. So wanting to perhaps wear certain items that friends were wearing or that were in fashion, you know, were in trend at the time and not being able to. And I can imagine that was quite difficult. Yeah, I've just been hiding behind clothes um, for those years. You know, I just really didn't feel myself. I didn't feel like I could sort of even have a voice. It's It sounds, you know, it sounds really big, but, it, you know, it, it was really the case under all points of view in terms of, you know, not really being able to share what was going on um, with me because I really didn't know at the time and also being really ashamed of it at the same time, which is not great. <laughs> going through puberty anyway is hard but also when you're you feel different to other people that can be twice as hard in a way what were some of the other symptoms that you experienced and were they were they difficult to put together to form an idea of what was happening yeah they were really different um and so I guess that's probably why doctors never sort of put them all together uh, but equally looking back they seem very simple symptoms to spot uh, so I feel really really angry you know we could have saved a few years then and definitely lots of lots of pain so um the first one was um not the, the most clear. It was uh, related to my vocal cords. So I'd always been singing. And um, uh, suddenly at the age of 11, when I was really having the best time in, um, in this choir and really like getting all my solos in. And honestly, I was absolutely loving it. Um, eventually, just my voice um, range shrunk. And um, I started to, to have to sort of put a lot of effort into singing. Um, you know, my voice was really strained. And um, um, I went to a... Um, a specific, you know, specialist doctor who said, oh, it's just nod jaws. It's a very common condition for singers. Um, you just need to rest your voice for a while um, and sort of retrain your voice. But I did all of that and things weren't getting better. And I just knew there was something there, um, you know, because I've always been so diligent with uh, voice resting and the exercises. And I just felt, why is, is it not getting better? Like I knew there was something um, related to, you know, to something bigger. Um, and I kept injuring myself a lot as well. So I was uh, very sporty then, um, did synchronized swimming and athletics. Um, and I just kept injuring myself over and over again. I was on crutches about three to four times a year. Um, so basically I was never really training. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I was, I'm very tall and I was growing into this very tall person. And I guess doctors just 
you know, dismissed it as, you know, you're just growing tall, you're just growing really quickly, it's going to be fine in a few years' time. And, um, yeah, that was definitely painful um, as well. But also, you know, little things like not being able to sleep very well. Well, not that little, I guess, but <laughs> not as big. Um, and I also had lots of migraines, um, anxiety, um, mood-related um, issues, but also heart palpitations, which I was referred uh, to a, a cardiologist for at the time and obviously they didn't see anything and now you know knowing more about the menopause and POI in general I can really see how all these things were connected but at the time they were really never never put together not even when I actually got diagnosed so it's incredible isn't it when you think of all these individual symptoms being kind of I mean, collectively being caused by by one thing, essentially. When What age were you when you first started to notice some of the physical symptoms? Yeah, I think it was about 10, possibly even slightly earlier with um, sort of mood-related and sleep-related issues. Um, because I'd started to develop around the age of nine, I think. That's when things started to happen. And then, you know, it sort of didn't continue um so so yeah now looking back things like migraines and uh, and sleep and mood issues were you know have been there for a very long time <laughs> and that must you know and i'm just thinking for the average woman in the uk when you go through the menopause it's at the age of 51 and obviously there's a lot of chat about the menopause at the moment and th- there is obviously quite a lot of misinformation but women are starting to become more self-educated and self-aware but then I think of you at the age of 10 or 11 doing you know going through this on your own and actually how how could you have been self-educated what could you have done you know there's not not much you could have done differently really or and certainly your parents probably couldn't have done anything differently. So, you know, really, I guess one of the things I'm thinking of is what what would have, with these symptoms that you were having and going backwards and forwards to the doctors for, what, what one thing do you think would have helped in terms of your diagnosis? What do you think that you could say, looking back, what would, what would I have wanted to happen? I guess my period had never come. So that's quite a simple question to ask a child who's having all these issues if they've had their period yet and um, possibly sending me for blood tests they would have seen a very very high FSH level Um, I think that's quite a simple way to diagnose POI and you know obviously maybe not straight away not the first year of symptoms but you know knowing that they were persisting I think this should have happened much earlier than when I was 15. Um, and as you say, it's really difficult at that age because you just assume this is normal um, because, you know, you've never really been an adult or gone through puberty before. So I just really assumed that was normal, just feeling really horrible. Well, everyone else tells me they're also feeling horrible. So I guess I'm just going through puberty, you know. And menopause is often described as a, a second puberty, isn't it, at the other end? And actually, this is something we've talked about um, between ourselves is, you know, within education, um, children learn about puberty, you know, and what's going to happen in their teenage years, but they're not taught about the other end, that kind of almost second puberty. And actually, I wonder if that had been in the kind of education system, if that had been mentioned there would have maybe have been a light bulb moment, maybe not with the, you know, with the the mix of symptoms you had in maybe not for your age, but actually just bringing that awareness 
to young people um, could potentially help future generations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, even just doctors uh, being more aware that this can happen at any age. Um, but equally, obviously, I could have maybe linked to dots. My family could have also. I mean, my mum was going through the menopause at the time and she also didn't receive amazing treatment then. Uh, and I think she wasn't fully aware of all the symptoms or the extent to which all the symptoms can really have an impact. So I think you know, there's still a lot to be done. And I mean, this was a while ago, but, um, you know, things are definitely looking better now. But it, yeah, if, if people just know what the menopause is and what POI is, I'm sure they can really help their friends as well, not just themselves if they're going through it. And the statistics, I mean, the numbers are low, but they're not insignificant, are they, Claire? Yeah, no, and Corinna, you, you can tell us about this because actually you are one of the the, the London um, coordinators of the Daisy Network. Tell us a bit about that and, and kind of numbers of POI that you know of. Definitely, yeah. So the Daisy Network is the charity supporting women with POI and um, I stumbled upon it very, you know, uh, on a very random <laughs> occasion. I wasn't really pointed to it, unfortunately. I wasn't really told about it. I wasn't even told my condition was called POI. Um, and then when I looked at their website, um, I realised POI is actually really common. So um, one in 100 women under 40 um, is diagnosed with POI, which is a lot. Um one in a thousand under 30 and one in 10,000 under 20. And a doctor told me um, that um, about one in a hundred thousand um, under sort of before development um, is diagnosed with POI. So it's a very common condition, especially among slightly older women. Um, but equally, it, you know, we're all in this together. We all go through the same symptoms and it's it's just something that, you know, it's, it's so similar to the menopause that just everyone should be aware of. And it's being aware of all those symptoms and, and joining the dots, isn't it? Exactly. And there's so many. I'm, I'm still learning about some of them every day. I'm like, oh, this could also be linked to my estrogen, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was talking to a friend yesterday and she'd said, uh, she said, Caroline, is vertigo uh, one, of, <laughs> one of the symptoms? I said, it could be, yes. You know, you need to see your doctor and discuss it with your healthcare professional. But yes, it possibly is. So we were talking about the DAISY network, um, Corinna, just before we took that break. And uh, the gr thank you for sharing those statistics. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work you do for the DAISY network um, as one of their coordinators? Yeah, definitely. So there's lots of um, coordinators all around uh, the UK, but also around the world now. Um, and what we do is we just try to be the sort of point of contact um, for women in our area. So we offer all sorts of um, uh, meet and greets uh, for social purposes, nothing um, you know, specifically medical, although the charity does offer um, medical advice. And there are some medical advisors on the board uh, and some live chats and all sorts of uh, support there. Um, so what we do is we just um, organise events, uh, also fundraisers, uh, because actually there's not much um, money that goes towards uh, research um, about POI, but actually there's so much scope for it. Um, I'm not the best person to talk about this, but there's a lot of sort of research in terms of um, using uh, stem cells to um, rejuvenate ovaries and, and things like that, that apparently in the future could be really beneficial. It's some amazing work that you all do, actually, just to try and raise awareness of, of what is, is, you know, like the, like you say, the menopause is, is not not talked about enough. It's talked about more than it ever used to be. But certainly with um, earlier menopause, it's just raising that awareness and having a point of contact. Because I imagine going through this at a younger age, like we've mentioned, 
is fraught with difficulties um can you can you give us an idea of what what some of the things you hear or maybe share some of the some of the feelings sort of the psychological symptoms that maybe you had and that you hear from others yeah it's it's a real variety but I guess most people feel really ashamed to talk about this with other people um so having a support um you know community or group where you can really be honest about how you're feeling and even ask very personal questions like how do you approach telling people about your diagnosis telling your uh, partners telling your partners families um and so on um how do you you know how have you done it you know just just to offer some sort of human um honestly just human advice um, that's really really helpful um, some people get um, you know very bad um, sort of psychological symptoms as well and um, obviously we always uh, recommend to seek uh, psychological support as well um, but also practical things like where do you put your gel um, you know very very simple questions are not necessarily too medical but they are kind of related with all treatments and uh, different things that we have to remember to do in order to to cope with our symptoms so it's just so nice to normalize this you know if I am to talk about this with someone who doesn't have PUI or doesn't know much about it uh, they will interact only to a certain extent but actually talking to someone who knows everything about it and it's their normal makes me feel normal as well and I think that's really really important because doctors sometimes um you know tend to sort of keep it very medical uh, and it's obviously their role to do so um but when you know when all your body and all your um sort of mental health as well is impacted by something um it can be really alienating to feel so medicalized um and it's just really nice to get out of that and and sort of you know embrace it more as a holistic you know that's just me that's that's stuff that I have to live with no I can imagine and actually we talk about a lot about connection don't we regardless of what age you are when this happens it's so important having connection and chats with other with other people because that's what can help um you know know will help you know that you're not alone actually um and be able to like you say speak to people that have and have an understanding of what you're going through even if the experience is very different there's an understanding there as well you mentioned your gel there or where it's you know some someone come come and sort of join groups and chat about what you know that might be a question where to put the gel um and it just made me think about the the health risks of of early poi i don't know if you're able to share perhaps a little bit bit more about that for us Corinna that would be really really helpful for our listeners to hear sure yeah it's actually that's something that's not talked about enough I think there's a lot of focus on the fertility side of things um, because obviously there's stuff that can be done about it but equally it's it's big impact on on life but um, I don't think there's enough focus on the health risks um, that people need to really be be mindful of so it's not only symptoms that you have on a day-to-day basis uh, that you have to control and make sure you take your HRT for uh, but it's actually your future health that's at risk if you don't take it and this is really important because there's all sorts of you know theories online whether you should or you should not use HRT but actually unless your medical professionals advise against it you should really really listen to them and um, main ones um, would be uh, heart health um, brain health and bone health so um, I was actually told about uh, bone health from the beginning um, and given uh, vitamin D and uh, calcium at the time Um, and um, also something else you need to do aside from taking these uh, supplements is also um, checking that your bone density is okay so um, DEXA scans um, every now and then are really recommended Um, but I was 
never really told about uh, brain and heart health. Um, well, actually, they're very much linked to um, estrogen levels. So sometimes, you know, if you have symptoms, uh, possibly it could mean that your dose um, needs to be sort of tweaked or, or changed. And that can also mean that, you know, you're potentially putting your future self at risk, not just your sort of present um, self with all sorts of symptoms. Did you start HRT relatively early in your journey? Yeah, so I did. So um, I was given both estrogen and progesterone, though, which apparently shouldn't have been the case because my breasts hadn't developed yet. Um, but um, I was given that in very, very small doses. And that was extremely frustrating because I just wanted my period to come and to sort of fully develop. But I now appreciate that was done for a reason, you know, to make sure everything developed properly. Um, but I was very quickly moved on to the birth control pill. Um, and I wasn't really told you know, why that was happening or really explained, like if I had a choice or why would I choose HRT instead? Um, so I just never really questioned it. Um, and that wasn't really a good idea because I didn't feel very good and I was on it for about eight years. So possibly even more um, <laughs> before discovering that my condition was actually POI and actually HRT is much better um, in terms of, you know, managing symptoms. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a strange journey. So I've just recently restarted HRT um, about six months ago. Um, and that's also been a bit difficult because obviously you need to tweak the dose and um, it's not as straightforward as a pill <laughs> every day, is it? We often talk about the menopause as being a bit of a moving goalpost and having to tweak your doses on a regular basis. And when I say regular, I don't mean day to day necessarily, but I mean from year to year or sometimes for some women, month to month, that they might have a recurrence of their symptoms and they might need to adjust their doses. So it's certainly not a one size fits all treatment, but it is it is important, I guess, for, for our listeners to to remember that actually your doses might might change it's not that it's not working it might be that you you just need a little bit more you need a change and I think that's something that as medical professionals we really need to be aware of and support women no matter what their age is because it, it certainly isn't here you go here's your prescription go away come back in in 10 years and let's see how you go it's kind of that ongoing monitoring is that something you felt that has got better for you or do you feel that a part of it is because you've become more aware of your symptoms and more educated yourself because you've had to? Yeah, I think most of it has been um, learning about POI and learning about uh, the treatment and recognising symptoms because I've lived for so long without really knowing what was a symptom and what was just me <laughs> being me. Um, so that's been quite quite a, an interesting journey. Um, but definitely it has helped me in terms of understanding when I need to sort of up my dose. Um, as well, it's, it's important to say that um, young women may need higher doses. So sometimes some doctors may not be fully aware of it and it's worth sort of pointing them to, to the guidelines. Um, usually PI specialist doctors are, are amazing. Um, but yeah, I've, I've found it really, really difficult initially to, to move to HRT because all my symptoms came back because I was given quite a low um, dose at the beginning. Um, but I think even things like trying testosterone, for example, um, if you know that's an option, um, it's always worth mentioning um, to your medical professionals because they may just not 
consider that or not be fully aware of it but as soon as you mention things and obviously they'll um they'll do their work so yeah for me it's just been a bit of sort of writing up lots of questions before every appointment and making sure that um I get an answer for all of them and it feels always a bit rushed there's never enough time there's always too many symptoms to to talk about <laughs> but um yeah at least you're, you're doing your best uh, to get the best possible treatment does the daisy network website have quite a lot of information on it as well yes Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of information about medical side of things, but also psychological um, and all sorts. And actually, there's a new book that's now available to pre-order, um, which is incredible. It's basically a little booklet that everyone should should read if you're diagnosed with POI. It's exactly what I would have loved to read uh, when I was diagnosed and I obviously didn't have. So it's, it's really helpful. There's a lot of human side of things as well. I think it's very important sort of how to manage you know, your day-to-day life and the impact of a diagnosis etc one of our questions was going to be what would you have told yourself what would you have liked to have known if you could you know look back at your sort of 10 11 year old self or even your 15 year old self you know what would you have liked to have happened or known you mentioned the booklet was there anything else yeah, I think just a bit of guidance in terms of what my diagnosis actually was. Like I would have loved to have a name so I could actually Google it because the name I was given wasn't Googleable. like nothing really would come up. Um, and that was a bit of a shock. Um, and I was also told this was an extremely rare condition, which it is because it was diagnosed before completing puberty, but actually it's really the same as other types of PI and, and early menopause. Um, but also, yeah, I guess just to know someone who had it, I think that would have been amazing just to talk to someone. I did ask um, my doctors back then, but I guess because it was a pediatric um, endocrinologist, there were many children um, with POI. And so, you know, there was no way they could sort of link me up with them. So I think, yeah, just 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 a general sort of step by step, you know, instructions, what things you may have to sort of watch out for, because I wasn't really aware of most symptoms and and I just you know just really blamed it on lots of different things well I think I could have accepted them and sort of managed them much better um, if I'd known sort of the full picture. And is there anything else that has helped um, Corinne Uh, anything else that helped I'm I'm sort of thinking about um, other forms of exercise or diet because obviously you mentioned that you know you had to give up quite a lot of the things that brought you huge joy you know the synchronized swimming the singing were there are there other things that have helped you over the last sort of 10 years to manage symptoms yeah so I I try to to sort of think that I have to look after my own health a little bit more than you know sort of anyone else um, my age which is a bit of a shape, but also really, really good for me because ultimately I'm just sort of having a very healthy lifestyle. So in the end, it's sort of positive, I guess. Um, so I do lots of yoga actually, um, and that's helped so much uh, because it really strengthens um, all my muscles and, and really um, makes my joint pain um, much better. Um, I do still have some hip pain which is really annoying hopefully even more (laughs) estrogen will help um but that's definitely improved it and in terms of um things like caffeine um, and alcohol um those usually trigger um hot flushes or just general heart um problems heart palpitations and I really don't like not sleeping so um I try to not have much of those um and that really does tend to help equally if I do want some of them I just need to prepare myself that I'm not going to sleep very much in the following night so it's it's just being aware of it you know it's, it's fine I don't need to completely cut that off um but other than that I really just try to to you know look after myself ultimately some sacrifices are 
are easy to to make um as long as you know you have a decent sort of quality of life and everyone's priorities are different um but for me yeah feeling feeling strong i guess and and not feeling pain in my body has has really been you know my main um i guess my main source of you know compensating for for what's um, what's happening I think it's really important, like you said, you mentioned there, you know, sort of almost giving yourself up for maybe not a great night's sleep or some some <laughs> symptoms for when you do treat yourself to some caffeine or some alcohol. And we're both um, huge advocates of not, you know, not trying to say no to everything, not trying to cut everything out, but becoming really aware of, of what the triggers are. Um, I can emphasize with the joint pain and the muscle ache. And I know if I have a bit of sugar or alcohol or caffeine, I'm going to pay for it later that day or the next day. So it's, it, as you say, it's just finding that balance, isn't it? Just finding a balance between what's helpful what isn't and then also trying to find some joy as well yeah it's hard it's hard to do if you don't know all the symptoms like if you um so so i use the balance app for example and there are so many symptoms and i just realized even things like my ibs like got much worse when my estrogen wasn't right and had i known this like five years ago i wouldn't have gone like gluten and dairy free for two years you know like it would have been so much easier to manage but it's you know as, as soon as you know all these little things that trigger you can really like work around them we often talk about the balance app don't we caroline because it's just one of those great tools which you know you can you can input your data you can print it out for your doctor you can present it to your doctor and we've we've actually spoken we, caroline about how you know you can have these questions and you can have stuff lined up for your appointment so that you go in armed um, and ready to have that discussion and then if you've got the balance app and all the data you you've got on there sort of readily available that can be really helpful it's a good tool isn't it I think it's incredibly helpful I mean I've used it and it's really lovely to hear that Corinna's used it as well I know <laughs> Dr Louise Newton will be pleased to hear that we're talking about it again because actually for me it's just it's on my phone unfortunately I am still wedded to my phone <laughs> Um, not very yogic, but um, it's just really, it's just helpful to, to put it in somewhere. And it's the one thing you often have with you these days. And so I find that really easy. I know lots of women who like to write the symptoms down. They maybe have a notebook by their bed or have a journal where they can write things down and feelings. You know, sometimes that can be really, really helpful if you suffer from anxiety or worry or insomnia, having something by the bed just to be able to kind of almost, it's like a download um, next to your bed. And sometimes writing can really, really be helpful. But yeah, otherwise, um, I think the app's really 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 helpful i loved what you said uh, when we were sort of chatting over email before we came together and you said um, that every closed door has been a new opportunity or an opportunity for something new and i it just really really resonated with me because actually regardless of what age you are it's a huge transition um and actually a, a really big transition for a 15 16 year old um, and i just loved that positive line that you know actually you've you've made it in some way work for you even though you've you know you've had a really difficult time there's been layers there a lot of symptoms having to give up some of the activities and hobbies that you really really enjoyed but you've you found a way through it um and i'd love to hear about some of the the uh, the new opportunities or doors that opened for you yeah i think it's really important to to talk about this because sometimes we can just be a bit pessimistic and just negative about you know diagnosis especially with others like when when you tell others they'll be like oh poor you I'm so sorry and actually I don't I don't want you to be sorry um it's just you know a card I've been dealt and I have to sort of work with it uh, you know there's much worse <laughs> things in life um so yeah in terms of um sort of making things better I guess it's it's always been 
fun for me because I was so young um, when I was diagnosed that I really, you know, didn't have my life sort of planned ahead completely. Um, and so I just went a little bit crazy. I just moved <laughs> to a new country and um, I just really um, stuck with this uh, drama passion that I had, which was basically initially just um, a way to use my voice in a way that wasn't as straining as singing. So actually it was just, you know, something I tried for a year because I was like, actually, I'm such a shame I can't sing um, anymore, but at least I'm sort of doing something similar. Um, so, you know, you, you have to find new passions, new things. And even if it's, you know, something you're just using as a compromise, then you never know, you know, maybe you, you really love it and and it's going to work for you. And I've moved country and now I'm a British citizen, which is crazy. <laughs> so, you know, just things happen to you and and they will be good as well. So not not just necessarily bad, but I think at the time, you know, when you have to give up things you love, that's, that's really, really tough. And uh, maybe I've been really lucky because I was so young, I was you know, really able to reshape um, sort of my life. Well, you know, if you're already, you know, established in your own sort of way of doing things, you know, it can be much harder. Um, but I think even things like uh, working in fashion. So I've, I've worked as a model. So I did lots of runway um, shows and it, you know, it was obviously great fun. I was a student. I was really young and just great way to, to meet new people and to sort of learn about the world. Uh, but my feet really couldn't handle it anymore. Like um, I kept breaking uh, like bones in my foot by just literally doing Pilates exercises. So obviously it wasn't fine walking heels and just realized, well, you know, actually I don't love the environment that much. I don't feel creative enough. And, you know, probably I would have stuck with it if, if this hadn't happened, but it just was too painful. And, and I'm really glad um, that I did because I went on and did a master's degree and, and sort of started my own business with a friend and it's now my job. So it's, yeah, there's always opportunities. It's just, it's a shame to give the others up, but there's always something else sort of, you know, around the corner waiting for you. Um, and you're now a co-founder of Coco Rio, and I love the name. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about this business that you started with a friend. Yeah, sure. Um, the name is actually um, quite a sort of interesting story um, because we wanted to combine our names. Uh, Sam Karina and my co-founder is called Leia. Um, but we try to combine the names like Coco Lala, Coco something else. And uh, it's already a lingerie company, Coco Lala, so it couldn't work. So that's why we waited until her son was born, Rio, and they work really well together. So that's the backstory. But basically we work with uh, all sorts of creatives, um, so obviously my background's in theatre and, and all sorts of um, arts administration and my co-founder is in uh, music. And we just realised that we both did lots of babysitting um, when we were uh, creative students and creative professionals, you know, as a sort of side job doing freelance, um, you know, in between freelance gigs and just parents absolutely loved it because we added that extra bit you know um for free basically um and so now we created this agency where we basically recruit incredible professionals who may want sort of part-time ad hoc work and match them with families so families get something that's a little bit better than sort of boring regular childcare <laughs> and creatives get a great you know great job that's also flexible so it's, it's been really fun to to grow this um yeah, also during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I've got visions now of, you know, these young children being treated to a full on show in their living room. But yeah. what, yeah, what a brilliant, brilliant idea. And so this, um, this is quite, obviously quite a new venture. Um, how, how old is Coco Rio? 
Yeah, so it's almost two now. I mean, we've worked on it for much longer than that, um, but we also had other jobs and working on this sort of in the evening and, and weekends and, you know, things like that. And then um, about, I think it was December 2019 uh, that we officially launched it. Uh, and then obviously the pandemic hit very shortly after. Um, but, you know, we're still going strong and uh, and growing. Our team is is constantly growing and it's it's really good fun. I, you know, I've always wanted to sort of work on something that was my own um, but I never thought I would do it this this early but Leah had this wonderful idea and I had to to take advantage of it and jump on board it was yeah it's been it's been a bit crazy you know you, you always want to have more more knowledge and more tools when you start something you always want to wait you know oh it's going to be better if I know this other thing but actually being dragged into it <laughs> it's it's works really well for for learning fast I guess I know there'll be many of our listeners with children of all ages um so please do tell us where we can uh, find the details the website or uh, social media handles oh fantastic um so it's coco rio so c-o-c-o-r-i-o.co.uk and uh, that's our website we're also on instagram coco rio underscore uk and on facebook um if you quote uh, the menopause sisters uh, you'll get a wonderful discount so yeah just just get in touch we also got an email address if you like info at coco.co.uk Oh, fantastic. Thanks for sharing that uh, and offering our listeners a, a discount as well, Corinne. That's really, really kind. Um, coming back to, to PRI, um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, your journey, um, but also we wanted to ask you about some of your some of your top tips um, for those that are going through this perhaps at the moment or perhaps they maybe think they are or they're going through the diagnosis process. Um, have you got any any top tips for um, listeners or for those that might be in a, in a similar similar position, similar age to you? Definitely. Um, yes, I would say to head to the Daisy Networks website and really give it a long uh, study and read. Um, there's so much information that can be useful uh, in terms of understanding symptoms and knowing how to approach um, the topic with doctors. Finding the right doctors is really, really important. Um, it really depends on where you live. Uh, there are some PI specialist clinics, but it's really important to you, you try to get a referral uh, through the NHS there. Uh, you don't need to go private there's plenty of uh, of great clinics but it's really important you get the right doctor because i've been with wrong doctors for a long time and they just really don't know how to treat you um so that's really important um but also i guess um learn how to accept it uh, it will take maybe decades i don't know i'm still learning uh, how to accept it but talking to other people um, who have it and sort of embracing um, you know um, connections with other members of the Daisy Network and uh, people in your area you know there's all sorts of networks I'm the London coordinator but there's lots of coordinators around the UK you can just get in touch with them get in touch with the Daisy Network see who's your closest representative um, and they'll definitely be able to to point you to some sort of social um, activities or support groups uh, the Daisy Network actually runs um, a support group uh, I think every month online so that's really helpful because um, that, that was the first thing I attended um, from Daisy Network and it was really really eye-opening to just chat with people who had exactly the same thing it was a bit overwhelming um, but it's definitely worth it um, and yeah do, do take care of yourself as well not just you know um, 
research and, and homework you can also just you know take time for yourself it's okay to feel rubbish sometimes and yeah just just allow yourself to to feel all those symptoms um i always um suggest writing down symptoms either as we said on the balance app or um just old-fashioned sort of a journal um because it's really useful to to sort of track them and understand them yourself it may take a really long time for you to know what's a symptom and what's just you <laughs> but uh it's useful thank you i think that's really important isn't it it's like sort of trying to unpick what could be one thing and what could be something else but actually i often say to, to my patients particularly um you know if you're if you're around the age of the natural menopause in the uk of 51 i often say to them you know just don't try and unpick it just write it all down and um, we can we you know together that that's the thing you know we can figure it out together and hopefully you know go through that with with lot with with a few consultations because like you said Corinne it can take some time to to come to terms with it but also to sort of get that diagnosis really spot on thank you so much for talking to us today it's been absolutely fascinating to hear about your work your positivity um um particularly around the daisy network as well because i think that's just vitally important uh, as another kind of source of information out there for anybody really that wanting is wanting to know a bit more but also just um being so open with your journey because i can imagine that that that's that's quite a, a tough thing at times in the past possibly to have shared so thank you so much we've got one last question don't we dr claire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one last question we have to prepare our guests this is the one we have to prepare our guests for in advance um and it's it's influenced by eve ensler's play the vagina monologues and it is if your vagina got dressed corinna what would it be wearing you would definitely have some sort of funky socks um or cute socks depending on the occasion <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> brilliant Laugh. it's fantastic thank you so much we do love that question because it always is, it just always gets quite a laugh so Corinna what an inspiration she was to talk to um and just wonderful to hear her positive outlook actually you know she's obviously had a really really hard time being misdiagnosed and finally finding out you know what she had what it was how she yeah. needed to handle and manage it um but an incredible story really really incredible because actually you know we've spoken about this in the past is, is that we are really keen to make this part of a woman's life wherever that is a positive a, a positive step and yes when it happens at a younger age there are obviously more difficulties associated with it um it's more of a taboo it's not spoken about you know certainly at that age group and um you heard from Corinna talking about how she she felt different to her peers when you're already feeling sort of slightly wobbly going through that stage in your life and then you're thrown another huge curveball um, it can be difficult but hearing that positivity I think is really important because you know we can there's a lot out there that people and women can do to help to, just to try and educate themselves but also to get the answers they need Often in, um, we talk in yoga philosophy um, how 
you know, negative feelings or never negative thoughts can be treated with opposites. And actually, when we're feeling rubbish or we're suffering from anxiety or we're just not feeling great about ourselves, physically, mentally, whatever that might be or look like, um, I try try to call on that and that yoga philosophy because actually, you know, it's just remembering how can I turn this on my head? And I realised for those that really struggle with their mental health that is not not an easy ask that's not an, an easy thing to do but just to have that in the back of your mind is, is there something that brings you joy is there something you can turn around in some way um as corinna had had said you know she closed certain doors had closed and yet she'd found it to be an opportunity for, for new things for new ventures for new new activities new hobbies that new connection, you know, we always talk about connections, don't we? That whether or not that's the social connection we're talking from peers, or whether that's forming a new connection, um, you know, doing a different type of work, doing a different type of job, or starting something new. Those connections can be vital, um, it's particularly if they are the ones that give you joy, or at least, you know, she was she, she was great in talking about how. She wasn't sure whether or not this was the right time of her life to be starting a new business. You know, there was always another thing that she needed to learn beforehand. But it just epitomises how you can just jump in and learn as you go, particularly if you've got that positive attitude, which she has in abundance. I'd love to ask you as well, Claire, have you seen many patients over, over the last sort of five, ten years um, as you're, in your work as a GP and, and particularly now as, a, as a, a GP with a particular interest with menopause and post-reproductive health? Have you seen many um, cases of, of POI? I've seen, I've seen a handful, to be honest with you. It, isn't, it, is, it is reasonably rare. I mean, we, Corinna spoke about those, those statistics. Um, it's not as rare as we, we once thought. But it's, I think, I actually think, I wonder how many we're missing, partly because, you know, all, all the symptoms that you, we are better at putting together in terms of the menopause at the age of, you know, 45 and upwards, it sort of makes a bit more sense. And I often tell my GP trainees always have the perimenopause in the back of your head when a woman is over 40, but actually having, having done this, this interview tonight, I think, you know, we should just have it in the back of our minds all the time. But yeah, I, I have seen a few and Corinna's symptoms were very, were very typical. The joint pains, the change in, you know, her ability to sit, it just, it just highlighted really for me, those very specific symptoms that might go unnoticed or might just be, you know, oh, your vocal cords have changed, you've got nodules. Well, why have they changed? What has happened? You know, really thinking about each symptom and then if you have to, writing them down, you know, write all of that down. And 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 for me as a GP, that's what I do a lot is just if I see someone that I'm not quite sure of their diagnosis, it's writing all their symptoms down and looking at, looking at it on paper, going what is going on and identifying that because actually – we are probably missing quite quite a vast amount of, of young women that are having an earlier menopause and and, and we, we shouldn't be really. And I think the statistics is one in a hundred are, are under 40. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So that's, you know, that's quite a large number, isn't it? One in a hundred under 40, one in a thousand under 30 and uh, one in 10,000 under 20. Um, so those numbers are not as small, I suppose, as we might think, but actually just having that in the back of your mind, whatever age age you might be. 
So with, with all the information that's available now to healthcare professionals, particularly the 14 fish course that's free to all health professionals now, um, there's no excuse really not to not to know about this. I mean, I know, you know it's hard because as a, as a GP, there's a lot you need to know. But this is this is something that I think needs to be prioritised because it's going to be happening to 50 percent of your of your patients. And um, and actually, if we like like Corinna said, if, if it's happening earlier, there are there are much more serious health implications associated with it than if it was happening at a more average age. So we've come to the end of another show. Thank you for joining us 